This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. We're back again today with uh, Ed Van Buren from Code 2 Canine. Uh, I brought him back today. We wanted to talk a little bit today about um, interdiction, but specifically about hidden compartments. So I was talking to Ed and I, I told him, you know, I know a lot of uh, a lot of guys that like in his situation, he was an interdiction officer. So he had a strong background with, with uh, what to look for. And then the dog actually was like, you know, a very good tool to add to, to that. There's quite a few of us have been in the opposite boat where I was never a narcotics officer and um, never really did any of that type of stuff other than assisting our narcs, um, but never went to any of the interdiction schools and stuff like that. So I thought it'd be good today to maybe talk to somebody with a really strong background in doing this for people who are like dual purpose handlers or maybe a handler who works in a smaller agency that doesn't get to do a ton of interdiction. But I'd like to kind of talk to Ed today about uh, what you know, where the dogs are going to hit on some of these compartments, how you find these compartments, how you identify them, what you look for, and um, so it might be a little basic for somebody who's uh, working a ton of interdiction, but I think for most of us, uh, Ed's got a ton of information that you know can probably add some more tools to your toolbox. So how are you doing today, Ed? Good, good. You? I'm doing good. Is it hot there in Nebraska today? Yes, uh, about 91 degrees. And about 300% humidity, maybe? Yeah, yeah. It's It's been pretty brutal here lately. Yeah, I, I know. It gets like that there. So, well... Uh, why don't we talk real quick uh, about your background real briefly again, just for the listeners, maybe you didn't hear your last show, uh, like, you know, what you, what you did in your career. I know you're retired now. Oh, my, uh, I started off um, as a patrol officer in a small town west of Omaha. Then I was hired by the sheriff's office here in Omaha at Douglas County. I spent, you know, my first two and a half years working on midnight road patrol, loved it. Good time. Went to my first interdiction class, and uh, God, this is going to date me, but 1987, and I, th- I learned some stuff that I was I was shocked. I couldn't believe that stuff was. Uh, they were knocking down loads all around the country with thousands or hundreds of pounds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, and and uh, you know all that stuff. Uh, I went uh, into the uh, narcotics unit for five and a half years. I worked strictly undercover. Uh, buying guns and drugs from uh, gang members, bikers, white supremacists, strippers, school teachers, any anybody and everybody. I uh, I bought dope from so many different people. It was it was incredible uh, that uh, you never knew that many people were selling drugs. But uh, 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 left uh, undercover, went uh, spent about a year and a half in the gang unit task force, and then the canine position became open, and or they started a canine uh, position. And I got into that. And, and I, you know, when I worked patrol uh, with a canine for several years before we started our own canine interdiction unit that did nothing but interdiction and canine calls. So, but for many years, I, you know, I did the patrol stuff and was, uh, you know, getting grams and hope, uh, you know, sometimes ounces off the street and helping, you know, patrolling and tracking people and building searches, all that good stuff that, uh, you know, and uh, uh, making calls. So, uh, but yeah, um, that's kind of how I got started. And then I spent, uh, I was a canine unit supervisor for, uh, and trainer for, uh, uh, 2001 until I retired in 2011. So, um, 
That's it in a nutshell. That's good. And I know in your career, you've seen lots of different ways to conceal, uh, you know, the, it, 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 you name it, I'm sure you found it concealed in some manner out on the highway oh. or even, even the side roads, which we'll talk about a little bit too, you know, for guys who don't have a, a interstate. So, Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It, basically if you can hide it, I mean, yeah, they can use anything. They can use anything. Um, and, and, and I'll and later on remind me to tell you about the one I know we missed and how we missed it. But, uh, and I shouldn't say the one, I guarantee you, we missed a lot of them. We, we missed a lot, but, uh, uh go ahead. So basically, let's just start with uh, you know if, if like I like I said in the intro, you know you're you're maybe a dual purpose handler and you work for an agency, you know your time is split between uh, you know if you're fortunate enough you're a, a dedicated canine officer and your time is split between some training, and then maybe covering a lot of patrol calls, doing a little bit of dope here or there. I know some places it's the opposite, it's doing a lot of dope and a little bit of patrol. But if you're one of those officers and you got this awesome dope tool in the back of your car, but you really don't have a a ton of that. What could I do to, to maybe stay busy and go out and generate some more more stuff for, with my dog? And then when I when I uh, make these stops, what am I going to be looking for? You know, for interdiction, and then specifically, how would I start realizing maybe if there's a, a trap or a compartment in the car? Well, you know, interdiction is no different than it's just basic good police work. Uh, one of the best uh, stops I ever had was on a dope stop. It was a guy who had just committed a homicide. I didn't know it at the time. But I did what I was trained to do from my first interdiction class I ever attended. I went beyond the uh, the initial stop. Why, you know, and, and I looked into what was this guy doing out at 5 a.m. north of Omaha? Why did he have some blood splatters on him? And why his story didn't make any sense? And, you know, and, and that's just the same you do if you're working criminal interdiction and you're uh, getting uh, stolen property, drugs, guns, whatever, you know, off the highways or the or the interstates, you're you're doing the same thing. You're just basically trying to find out who's who's the criminal and who's not. Sure. So you you, you develop probable cause. You've pulled over a car. What's what's like the first thing you're going to be looking for with this in mind? Obviously, you know, we don't need to go through tactics and safety. That should be you know maybe for another show or should be. Should be kind of there, but what what are you looking for at first to, to start seizing this uh, moment and figuring out if you have something or not? Well, you got to be an open book. You go you what you don't want to walk up there going, I think I got something. You don't want to walk up there going, this is nothing. You want to walk up there going, using your your nose. Do you smell anything funny? Uh, you're obviously your all your experience, all your training, your eyes, you know, your communication skills. Uh, you're walking up and you're looking at what's in the vehicle. You're looking at the vehicle, the the people or person in the vehicle, uh, you know, do they belong? Uh, do they, they fit, you know? And if they don't, there could be a, a very likely, you know, explanation, but you, you don't, don't get, uh, what you don't want to do is come up uh, and think, Oh yeah, I got something here right away. Or I don't have something, you know, let them convince you whether they're guilty or innocent, you know, of, uh, of criminal activity. So, you know, I'll look like, for instance, if it's a car, if I see luggage in the back seat, that may be a little bit of a, uh, like, okay, why is this luggage in the back seat? Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. In the early days, we were taught if you had luggage in the back seat, they probably had a load in the trunk. Uh-uh, back up there. Uh, when I travel, I usually don't put my luggage in the trunk of a rental car. I usually put it in the back seat. And I've never smuggled drugs or guns. So, uh, so, yeah, I mean, but so when you see stuff like that, it could be something. It may not be something. Again, it's going to depend. Now, do you see fresh handprints on that trunk lid, but the luggage is in the back seat? Well, okay, now you may be onto something, little things like that. But you go up there with an open book, go up there, talk to the people, be nice, be polite. 
uh, be curious and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, ask what you can ask depending on your jurisdiction. Uh, you know, I liked, I looked at, I look at four things, the, uh, uh, going to coming from the reason for the travel, the people and the, and the vehicle. In other words, is it a third-party vehicle, a recent rental, any of that stuff? You know, uh, what are what brings these people together? Uh, are they boyfriend and girlfriend but don't know each other's last yeah. name? All, all that basic sure. stuff, you know. And so, I, I would encourage our listeners for for some of this. We went over some of this in the last episode, so if you didn't check out the last one, you know, uh, maybe maybe pause here and go back and listen to the first one with Ed because we talk kind of a lot about that. Um, and now you know we've 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 got some of those things. We've got the stop. You've decided this is good. Um, at what point in the stop as a dog handler, are you going to, uh, get your dog out and, and how are you going to work that part of it? I'm, uh, I always operated under the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the basics that the dog was, I would always try to get consent. Um, I always had good, uh, working relationships with our prosecutors, both, uh, in our County and our federal and, um, uh, and then they even preached a lot of them preached that hey, if you can get consent, get consent, because, you know, that's just another tool in your toolbox. You know, if you can't get consent, then, then you go to the dog. You know, there were some there were some uh, exceptions when I just got the dog out. Um, you know, if I knew if the guy was uh, or the person was argumentative or you could, you know, you're like, you know, I'm not even going to go down this road of consent. Yeah. You know, but uh, uh, the main thing is, too, you want to be prepared heading into that situation. You know, if you're going to, whether you're going to run your dog on the highways, the interstates, the county roads, you know, the inner city where there's people walking, train in those environments. Make sure, sure. your dog's comfortable working in those environments. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point because I know a lot of guys don't train next to the side of the road. And then, you know, I'll talk to them and they'll tell me their dog doesn't work next to the side of the road, but they've never, they've never trained in that. So that's a good point. So, yeah, and then prepare and, uh, you know, just have a plan. You know, always have a plan. You know, when, when I teach interdiction classes, that's what I tell people. I say, when, when you when you make a traffic stop, you have to be prepared for the entire uh, spectrum from uh, talking to a person. You may have to give CPR. I've, I've been on a stop where I had to talk someone out of suicide. I've been on a stop where, where I almost had to shoot somebody. So you have to be prepared for everything from nothing to you know, the, the potential deadly force. So uh, don't go into the stops paranoid, but just go into them prepared. And what percentage, what percentage, when you talk about consent, what percentage roughly do you think you would get consent on searches? Uh, you know, uh, it's gone a little less consensual, but most of my bus on the interstate were consensual. Um, on the inner city stuff, when we're working up in the up in the bad neighborhoods and that, no, not so much. Though they usually you didn't get consent. Uh, so kind of kind of depends. Your professional smuggler, you have a better chance of getting consent than your local uh, <laughs> uh, your hoodlum. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So 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 once they once they give you consent, then uh, you get them out of the car. Or what do you do with them? Or I know I think you mentioned last time that a lot of times you'd already have them sitting in your front front seat or something. Yeah. I always, I always ask, even if, even if you don't, even if you can tell them to do something, I would still ask. Again, it's like consent, you know, ask people, Hey, can you step out of your car? You know, you know, and here's where this becomes a judgment deal. A lot of times I didn't pat people down because I want to keep it consensual. I do not. Now there's officers that will, will, will never 
do that. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them. That's, that's a personal choice. Um, it's, and if you don't pat them down, you better be very, very, you better have backup and you better be very prepared to deal with, you know, what could happen. But uh, that, ask him. Get that him out that of the almost car gives me a rash just hearing that. I, I'm one of those guys that I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I'd have to, but, like you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's not normal. I think my undercover uh, days helped me deal with, you know, when I would, I would be dealing with dealers that I, I they had a gun. I could see a gun. They had it in their, you know, I, I, I had to get comfortable with that. I can't say I had to get comfortable. I had to accept it. I never really got comfortable with it. So it made it a little easier not to pat some people down again. When in doubt, I would always pat somebody down. But uh, so, but yeah, you know, have them step out of the car, you know, if they will. Uh, you know, I've been in court. One of, one of my, I, I love testifying as an expert witness. And, you know, I know uh, defense attorneys try to make it sound like we're the Gestapo. We order people out of the car. We pat them down. We're, you know, we're doing all these terrible, mean things. But, uh, you know, you ask them. And I tell them that in court. No, I didn't order them out. I asked them. Will you step out of the car? You know, can I pat you down? Do you have any weapons on you? You know, have them go stand wherever, wherever you feel comfortable. Have them stand. Have your back up there. Make sure someone's watching them. A lot of times uh, their actions may tell you how close you are to finding what you're looking for. Sure, sure. So they're we've they're had backup officers come up and uh, tell us that, hey, when you were uh, back by the trunk area, they got real nervous. Oh, really? Okay, let's go back to the trunk area, you know? So so you run your dog around and get positive hit. So now you're going to search the vehicle. Um, don't come up with anything. At what point do you start thinking, all right, the dog's hit. I'm not finding anything. I'm going to go a step deeper and I'm going to see if I can find a trap. Um, some of these traps are really well made. So let's go on the premise of that, that you've, you know, you got a good solid dog hit, but on your first cursory search, this car is pretty clean at this point. Um, how do you go to the next step of this? Then you may want to pat them down if you haven't. They may have it on them or they may have dumped it under the car. Look around the area. They drop it, toss it out, whatever. Um, you know, one of our, uh, we had a hidden compartment once on a local stop. We were doing a U.S. attorney one do a ride along with us. We're out on I-80 here in Omaha and we were uh, concentrating on commercial vehicles and a car pulled up and said, hey, that car that just shot by you, uh, shot's a bad, a bad choice of words here. Uh, that car that just sped by you just did a drive-by shooting about half mile back. And so we, we went after that vehicle and it turned into a, a short pursuit. They threw the gun out the window. We got them stopped. Got him in custody. We're searching the vehicle. We find an actual uh, airbag compartment. There was a local gang, local uh, street gang, and they had a uh, airbag compartment built in their vehicle. And it was like, dang, you know, you don't just see these on, you know, people traveling across the country. So yeah, it's it's very common. So you you look for look for signs of that. I mean, your local, a lot of your gangs have uh, they'll build these compartments to hide. Not only drugs, but weapons. Uh, we found uh, we found ammo and a magazine in this. They threw the gun out. But, uh, you know, that's why it's very important to know how to look for hidden compartments. You're going to see them in the inner city on the county roads and the state highways, too, just like on the interstate. So, so uh, what are what are some of the basic signs that, you, that when you, like I said, I know some are real obvious. You know, you can find the, the body damage and all that kind of stuff. But w when they've done a good job of it, and I, I talked to a friend of mine who does a, a lot of this stuff, too, and his theory, and I, I tend to believe it, he said that in any of the big cities, the, if you have a stereo shop, you have a, a shop that will make uh, traps for them because he said they all they all do that for the right amount of money. And he said some of them are so good at building a custom stereo system, building in a trap somewhere isn't that much harder for them to do that, and they can cover them up pretty well. So 
if you have something like that, what are what are some of the telltale signs of that? The ones that aren't as obvious, you know, the, that. Well, I always I, I I preach a visual search. Don't start touching stuff and pulling stuff and trying stuff. Do your visual. Look for those little uh, <clears throat> tooled uh, tooled areas, tooled screws. Look for little stress marks in the in the plastics. Look for what tools they have in their vehicle. Um, you know, they got one of those star screwdrivers. I never carry one of those. Find one of those, you know, I start looking to see what it's going to fit. And that's probably going to lead you to the to the concealment. Uh, use your nose. Uh, you know, um, a little, uh, probably a, 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 one of the least checked areas locally is a fuel sending unit in the vehicle. Um, they use them on the interstate. They use them on the highways. I guarantee you they're using them in town, too. They're not that hard to access. So anytime you take a sending unit out, whether it's under the back seat or in the, the trunk area, if it's accessible from, from inside the vehicle, not all cars are, uh, it's, it's virtually impossible to not spill some gasoline. So you might detect some uh, odor of gasoline. Okay, where's that come from? I'd look, be looking for the sending unit. Same thing as if they're uh, using Bondo to cover some hidden compartment access. You know, do you smell Bondo? Do you smell fresh paint? Uh, if you do smell one of those, make sure the vehicle was just recently in an auto body shop. But uh, use your nose, use your eyes, look for, spend some time just looking and seeing, okay, what, what's, let the vehicle tell you or, or, you know, show you where the concealment is. Uh, we got in a car once, we couldn't find the concealment. We we're doing our visual. We got in the car and our hair was touching the roof of the vehicle. And we're like, uh oh, well, we either got a raised floor or a lowered roof. So, uh, you know, you know, just little things like that. Uh, some of the items don't get caught up in the vehicle too. What they have in the vehicle could be a hidden compartment, like cooler walls. You know, they'll take the foam out and 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 use those uh, stereo boxes, stereo speakers, that sort of thing. So, uh, be, just really train yourself on using your eyes and look for that those telltale signs of something's been tampered with. So even if they've they've done a really good job concealing, they got a high end trap. A lot of times you're saying there's gonna be. You, you're not even really looking for the trap. I'm just in there looking. Maybe like I, I know I had one where um, we found a big magnet, and that that ended up being how they would access the trap. So anything that's out of the ordinary that you know you wouldn't like the star screwdriver, that's going to just kind of lead down lead you down that road. To, All right, I'm gonna keep digging because there's something here. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, why they have a permanent marker? Why do they have a permanent marker in there? Uh, a lot of them they'll, they'll use that to cover tooling on bolts on oh. screws. You know. Oh, Paint, paint. One of uh, one of the, one of the, I found a uh, 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 firewall compartment where they were repainting the bolts, holding the fenders on, but they were using the wrong shade of green. Didn't quite match <laughs> the truck. You know, it's like okay, and it was still sticky. So little things like that, you sure. know. And uh, uh, so I know some of these have that the crazy stuff where you got to turn the left blinker on, step on the brake, turn the radio to something, turn the defroster on. So. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the wiring involved in that and where, where you would maybe start seeing some of that stuff? You know, we used to spend, we, we would try and we were successful sometimes doing that. I am by no means an expert when it comes to that. I was not, my motto was try to figure it out. If you can't break it open, uh, you know, unless we thought we were going to do a, a controlled delivery, but yeah, you know, the wires, you're looking for the wires, uh, out of place wires or, uh, uh, we had a jump system where we had a long wire with the little alligator clips on each end. If we found the suspect wire or wire that didn't belong, we would, we would shave the insulation off that hook the one into it, take the uh, other end of the, 
the, the our, our uh, wire and and touch the battery and we'd hear you know you'd wait to hear that clunk or you know whatever so the wiring um pr- uh once you think you've got a compartment sometimes you can pry it up enough to see if there's like a trunk latch uh they built in there to to secure it stuff like that um oh uh uh batteries if it's a battery compartment you know they're gonna they're gonna have they're probably gonna have a jumper or a, a jumper box because there's not enough to to start the vehicle every time they turn it off if they've got half or two or three-fourths of the battery gutted for uh for concealment so little things like that um yeah the wiring that's that's tough like i said we always gave that a shot and we didn't spend a long time on there unless we knew it was uh going to be control delivery yeah there's some guys out of california that do a lot of it uh the traps and stuff i went to one of their classes and they pretty much uh um you know or just of the assumption not even to try to open it uh just to find the wiring and uh like one of the things they point out that that was really pretty cool was they had some really good pictures of some very very high-end cars that had traps built in them that were very very well done traps and even the wiring was really well done but they'd have the relays up under the dash and even with not being a mechanic when you look up under a normal dash you know i mean i'd encourage you as guys are searching cars just start looking up under the dash and kind of know what wiring looks like and then when you look up under there they got to put the relays up somewhere to, that and the relays are what make the trap open and close and they'll hook them up to all the different stuff so once you see four relays in a line even if they've mounted them very well and done everything they, they've got to put them somewhere and it seems like they usually end up fairly close to the fuse box up under the dash and um, at least then you know there's something here you just then you gotta just keep looking for it oh yeah and when you do look under the dash even if you're working day shift have a flashlight and 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 look under there and, and let your eyes adjust i looked under a dash one day i was searching a car and i laid under there for probably a good minute before my eyes I really could make out the black wrapped money bundles. They blended in with the rest of the uh, stuff underneath the dash pretty well. But yeah. Once I let my eyes adjust and and really took a good look, then I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't look quite right. You know, take your time, don't be in a hurry. You know, that's a good point. Uh, so, if you, on this, in your experience, say, you know, let's say, what? Give me a, a common place for a trap. Maybe the the dashboard or under a seat or somewhere. Um, when you have one of those common areas, or you can address a couple of them, where might a dog start working that? And I mean, every situation is going to be different, obviously. But what were some of the things that you saw um, that you know would your dog could assist you, or or uh, you know at least narrow down an area for you? A lot of uh, we started training our dogs on undercarriages a lot more because uh, when. We started having thought when undercarriage compartments became popular. When I say undercarriage compartments, I mean, I also, that includes the, uh, you know, underneath the console. Um, you know, the odor probably is not going to be shooting up. It's probably going to be dropping down, most likely. And uh, your dog starts wanting to go under a car. A lot of dogs can't go under some of these cars. Some of these cars sit pretty low. Uh, your dog starts going under there. Now, here's the other catch. You may not get a final indication. You'll get an alert. Your dog's trying to go under a vehicle. Even if it gets under there, it can't go under there, pinpoint something, and then sit. You know, they're going to be on their belly. So uh, so now you have to be able to articulate in court uh, why you search the vehicle based on your dog's actions. Uh, uh, what, the main dog I used on, uh, on the interstate 
uh, Rocky, anytime he never went under a vehicle unless he had odor. He never did. Anytime he went under a vehicle, I had, I had doper money in the spare tire or gas tank or a undercarriage compartment. So you're, you're trained for that. Um, it's real popular. The, the, the center console is huge because it's easy access for the driver. Um, most of your inner city compartments are going to be easy to access. They're going to want something where they can get to a gun in a hurry. So, uh, so think of consoles, dash, uh, car seats, uh, the car seats, um, another big one. Um, uh, one of our instructors up in, uh, South Dakota gets a lot of, uh, dope up in the headliner where the windshield and the headliner meet. And I, I never would have thought of that. Before, when I used to work the street years ago, I never would have thought of that because we always think of under the carpet, under the seat, you know, all that sort of thing. But yeah, it's easy to reach. It's right up. It's within reach of the driver or passenger, whichever side it's on. So uh, behind the radio, you know, that's where you get those electronic compartments. Heck, they got some radios now where they, uh, there is a compartment behind yeah. them out of the factory. Oh, yeah. So yeah, the, uh, the Tahoes have that. So there's a lot of them that are doing that now. And I, I was going to, I was going to mention something real quick on the the upholstery and all that. You know, that's where maybe having relationships with. If you work for a smaller agency, because uh, the dog I work now is a, a bomb dog, so I'm attached to our bomb squad, so I, I, I'm gotten more familiar with that. And they have tools that I never really thought about before. But even if you work for a smaller agency, somewhere in your area is a bomb squad. If you work for a large department, you have your own bomb squad. But the FBI is good about training bomb techs, and they have teams, bomb teams. That are that cover the entire country. So if you were out in an area and and you couldn't find something, but you believed it was in the upholstery or something, before you take a knife and start cutting things open, if you don't have X-ray uh, capabilities from your like your local Narcs or your Hyda or whatever, call the bomb squad. They'll come out and they could shoot an X-ray on the seat and start showing you if there is a compartment there or if there's something in there. So um, I just mentioned that just for guys to be thinking outside the box. Don't get locked into your own little. Uh, box and think there aren't there aren't resources depending on where you're at or your agency or whatever so think of all the different resources you have when you're stuck there trying to trying to find where this is hidden oh that's a great point oh yeah i mean use i mean that's that's getting to know all the 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 canine and not just canine guys but uh all all the officers in your area different agencies you know um i get people that call me routinely hey i'm on a stop I, i know i got something i can't find the compartment um, and so I'll, you know, we'll, we'll go through the, the stop real quick and try to, try to figure out where, where to look, you know, and, uh, uh, I love doing that. I wish I could be there helping them. I miss that. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, use your resources. I mean, uh, network, my God, that's, uh, you know, uh, before Terry Fleck passed away, I got, I got so lazy researching case law because I could call Terry and say, Terry, Hey, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's gone now. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, uh, so yeah, I mean, get to know the people, the, the experts in, in, in your field. And there's a lot more experts local than a lot of people realize and the nice thing now about the the internet is they don't even have to be local you know everybody can there, there's no such thing as a long distance phone call anymore if you get on uh, if you do a little social media if you get on some of these discussion pages online different places you can network with people and kind of start to start to know hey i've got a got a question or whatever and even if you don't know that person um this community what i love about this community is everybody's real open so um, I'm sure just like me, any stranger could contact you on Facebook or something. And uh, as long as you know he's actually a, really a cop, then you'll do anything you can for him. And and uh, so I just always like to mention that to, to really 
start thinking today about all the resources you might need. And that can go for if you're a patrol dog handler, start thinking of all the different resources you could you could do. I do I teach a whole class on doing a large area uh, search using multiple agencies and all the resources you might need to bring in, even if you're a 10-man department. So uh, I just always like to mention that the today's the day to start thinking about that and have have that list ready to go. And then when you when you find one of these weird cars and maybe your dog's hitting some weird area, but you can't work it out, call another dog. Let another dog see if, if for some reason, trips his trigger a little bit different. Um, start, you know, uh, talking to people and asking them, here's a specific vehicle, call you. Um, if I, you know, in fact, I recently did that. I called you and talked to you about an uh, F-150 and you gave me some real good ideas. So uh, just just use your resources. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit too about, we, we I think we mentioned it in the last one, but, you know, on this same idea of, you know, if you got the traps, uh, maybe you, you figure out how to open it. You uh, Are there some resources that you know of, it, like is it a state-by-state thing or is it a federal thing? Is having a trap illegal? Is there anything that, does it show any criminality? Maybe you get the trap open, but it's uh, empty. Is there anything that you guys did in your area with just that vehicle by itself? In, in my area, it was not illegal, uh, unless obviously it had contraband in it. Uh, typically, we would seize the vehicle if it was a constructed hidden compartment, even if it was empty. Um, you know, and now there was a few cases where we found the compartment and the, the driver didn't know we did. And we, we let it go and just put a bolo out on it. And uh, uh, so hopefully somebody will catch them after they're loaded. And uh, so, yeah, but now there's other agencies that it's illegal. They'll charge them. And, uh, um, you know, so, yeah, that's where you, you, you got to work with your prosecutor and know your know, know what they'll prosecute and what they won't. Exactly. And I think uh, there's some areas around here where um, they'll do it as a uh, public nuisance and just sees it, you know, as a, as a civil forfeiture. So uh, there, it's a, there's a lot of good tools out there, even if you come up empty, but you, you get the trap open to, just to show that your average person doesn't, doesn't have a, a $3,000 car and a $2,000 trap built into the, the uh, you know, headrest without, you know, having some type of criminal intent. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And one other, one other thing I want to talk about that's a little bit off topic is, um, and we, we mentioned a little bit, you know, you were fortunate you had an interstate in your city, but what if you're working somewhere else, um, working some small back roads and stuff? I, we had mentioned in the last episode that, uh, you know, everybody's going to drive down those roads. Are there anything obvious, you know, if I work in a real small town, anything that I should just kind of be looking for when these cars are driving through my town that maybe it was going to stand out a little more for me that they're, they're off the interstate, but maybe they're doing the delivery? Well, you know, north of Omaha, uh, there's a Highway 30 that that it doesn't it parallels 80 I 80 kind of out west, but not in Omaha. Uh, between 30 and 80 is probably about 15 miles. So uh, if you stop somebody on 30, for instance, and uh, they're traveling co- cross country, I wow, I would want to know why they're on 30 and not on 80, because it's going to take a heck heck of a lot longer on 30 you're driving through small towns so uh yeah i mean again uh the the long distance driving uh you know uh, uh consensual encounters i i can't tell you how important those are uh a lot of guys say well my i, I work a highway but i only got a couple miles of it well you know work that two miles and also uh you know if you stop in your gas stations or your quick shops or your little whatever 
yeah, where they're stopping and, and getting something to eat or getting gas, whatever. And you can use, use your consensual encounter. Again, make sure your prosecutor's on board with you. Uh, you know, who was really good at that in the Omaha area was Chris Bigsby uh, from the state patrol uh, out of Lincoln. Um, he got, he got, I helped him on, on a couple of nice uh, loads that uh, were consensual encounter, encounters. So, uh, you know, again, you're looking for kind of the same thing, but really uh, like, you know, if you see uh uh, if you see a vehicle uh, that you think is traveling cross country, well, you know, like I've seen, I saw a Nevada plated car up on 30 one day. I wasn't working. I was dog training uh, with uh, another agency. And I'm like, you know what? You're going to know you, if you can, if you can stop that vehicle, if you've got a violation, you can stop that vehicle. You're going to know probably in 30 seconds if you have some or not, you know? So. Another thing that uh, one of my, one of my NARC friends was telling me that uh, he's, he's, he said, you know, for the last 25 years, he always liked using uh, payphones. If you know, watching the payphones, and he said every year that gets to be more and more obvious because no nobody uses payphones anymore. But he said uh, he has a a uh, gas station outside his city, and uh, it's still in their jurisdiction. He'll just uh, if he's there and he sees somebody on the payphone, it's always worth a second look to him. You know, just some. But he's he's got some good things just by that. You know, so I guess everybody kind of develops their own little. Things that they look for, but uh, uh, I'm sure there's a million of them. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and that's where the officer they need to know. You know, their their area. They uh, they need to know the the traffic patterns and that. You know, is it uh, typical? I mean, if I if you if you're working a small town a state highway and uh, outside of Omaha, Nebraska, we'll use my 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 hometown, Omaha, Nebraska. And you see a Nevada plated car followed by a California plated car, uh, two females in the front car and two males in the back car. I would be, my radar would be uh, high, you know, uh, you know, what, what's going on there. So uh, little things like that, know your tra- uh, traffic patterns and, and uh, what you typically see through there. You know, I, we got a call one time uh, from, uh, from a trooper. We we're dog training about a, a motor home in January. We hardly ever saw, motorhomes from from out west driving through this area and uh we ended up going out there and uh we ended up uh uh videoing the, the motorhome driving on the shoulder of the road stopped it ended up getting 100 kilos of coke uh and that was just based on networking you know and going and being proactive and uh you know and uh things like that and i can't say enough about networking and just you know uh keep in contact with the people that work around you and being proactive and being smart about it, though. Yep. Got to yep. be smart about it. And that, that that's a great way to kind of to wrap all this up is that networking thing. Um, that, that's not just, like I said, not just having other dogs or whatever, other other cops in the agencies or whatever. But, you know, maybe they'll call you one day and say, hey, this car rolled through here, but we never developed PC. But we wish we did. So here, watch out for it. Maybe you can get PC and uh, and stop them or vice versa. Or if you're if you can't. Uh, you know, you work out an alert with your dog, maybe send them on their way with minimum inconvenience. So they think they got away with it and uh, let someone down the road. Maybe, maybe by the time he gets down there, that odor will be doing something different or the circumstances will be different and the, you know, they can work out something on there. So I agree, you know, networking is, is in, in canine, it's, it's vitally important. Well, and you know, Jeff, I worked, uh, I worked in between two icons of the interdiction world for many years, which was a blessing and it was also a curse because if one of them got something like, uh, well, to the east of me was Ken Haas from Iowa State Patrol, to the west of me was Dave Fry and Chris Bigsby and Rob Pelster, all with Nebraska State Patrol. But 
uh, Dave Fry and, and, and Ken Austin, I used to, uh, talk a lot. And, uh, if, if Dave, who was west of me, got a westbound hit, yeah. uh, Ken and I heard about it. If Ken <laughs> got an eastbound hit, Dave and I heard about it. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, but on the other hand, we were, we were in contact all the time with each other about stuff. Hey, I got two vehicles traveling together. I'm going to stop one of them. Why don't you look out for the other one? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You, you can't beat it. So. Absolutely. And that's, so uh, just a final wrap up then we're talking about networking and stuff. And that's uh, one of the real big, great things about hits is you can uh, come to our hit seminar. It, it'll be in July of next year. And these are the kind of things you can do. You can start to meet people, not just in your area, but like I said, now with uh, cell phone technology and the internet and everything, it doesn't matter where people are. You can sit down, have a beer with them, start learning some things about what they do, where they're working and keep those resources. So I would encourage uh, our listeners, uh, if um, they have any more questions for Ed, I'll put his contact information here on the uh, show notes. You can touch base with him, find out about some of the interdiction training that he does. It'll go a lot more in depth than what we were able to today. And then uh, check out hitscanine.net and you can see some of the classes we do, see uh, all the information. Hopefully the world will be back to normal by next July. We'll have another uh, thousand or so handlers or usually we get a little over that, maybe 11, 1200 handlers together where you can uh, really meet a lot of different people doing a lot of different uh, great things out there and just add to your your, uh, contact list. So I appreciate your time today, Dad. Go ahead. Uh, Are you familiar with Leo's? Uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. Leo's. Dropulov. He's actually a good friend of mine. I just can never pronounce his last name. Out of McKinney, McKinney, Texas. Yeah. Uh, I want to tell you, I got him to commit. Him and I are going to be at Hits in in, uh, July. So, uh, yeah, we're going to make sure we go down there. Good. It's going to be a good time. Good. So, I think think we're even going to have a booth. Good. Looking forward to having you guys. Well, thanks, Ed. I appreciate uh, all your time today and all the great information. And uh, we will talk to you very soon. Hey, thank you very much, and everybody be safe out there. If you're looking to make an investment in your canine career, come the HITS 2021. There's no substitute for the real thing. Whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, come the HITS 2021 where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2021 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffles and gifts and free cash than ever before. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there and we've been there too.